As I mentioned to those who gathered yesterday for our conversation with regards to mission, vision, and purpose, there is a new documentary film uh, that has just been released and is now available on PBS. I understand that you'll be able, be able to watch it uh, tonight on your local PBS affiliate uh, at 7 o'clock. The title of it is Defying the Nazis, the Sharps War. Uh, it's produced by Ken Burns in conjunction with Artemis Joukowsky, who is the grandson of Martha and Whitestill Sharp. Um, how many of you have heard of the Sharps? Chance. Okay, so this will be a little bit of repeat history <laughs> for some of you. Um, Martha and Waitstill Sharp were uh, a minister. Uh, Waitstill Sharp was a minister. Martha was his wife, uh, at serving our congregation in Wellesley, Massachusetts, uh, back in the 1930s. Leading up to the Second World War, they were called in by our then American Unitarian Association for a very special assignment. And that was to help people who were at risk of losing their lives or at risk of being imprisoned escape the Nazi regime that was starting with, that was coming very much into power leading up to the Second World War. There were 17 other ministers who were contacted by the American Unitarian Association to take on that task, but it was Martha, it was Waitstill Sharp in conjunction with his wife Martha who decided to actually go to Eastern Europe and to help people get out of that part of the world and to safety, whether it was in Western Europe or over here in the United States. Those were people who were political dissidents and authors and artists and people who were Jewish who were very much at risk at that time, being scapegoated in some ways that seem strikingly familiar to what we see in our own country this very day. I wanted to share with you an excerpt from the book Defying the Nazis, uh, The Sharps War, which is the companion to the film, the 90-minute Ken, Ken Burns film. Uh, and, this, and this is looking at what was going on at the time that uh, they actually agreed to go to Czechoslovakia and to help people begin to, to leave uh, and get to safety. This is right after they had agreed to, to do it and how they remember it differently. Some 40 years later, Waitstill recollected that both he and Martha accepted the assignment almost immediately. As we went home beneath the starry skies, he reminisced, we went home with a promise to do it. Martha remembered the decision, the decision process differently, noting that Waitstill was eager to go, assuming, of course, that she would go with him. Missionaries, he reminded her, leave their children. It was a touching expression of his love, respect, and need for Martha. Yet he also knew he was forcing her to choose between him and the children. They had two young children at the time. She knew there would be consequences no matter how she decided. Although Martha had serious doubts, she shared Waitstill's sense of responsibility. As she later wrote, Refugees in the Sudetenland had been murdered. People were being imprisoned and hurt. Her greatest concern, however, was for their seven-year-old son and their two-year-old daughter. I had never for one minute entertained the thought of leaving them, she said. 
Knowing that Waitstill wouldn't go without her, she recalled being torn between her love and duty to her children and to her husband. Martha took the matter to an old friend and mentor, Edna Stebbins, whom she thought of as an aunt and addressed her accordingly. Aunt Edna advised her to go. If you prevent Waitstill from taking this assignment, Stebbins said, he'll always regret the lost opportunity. He might subconsciously blame you for not helping him fight the Nazis. It would be a great experience for both of you. I think you ought to go. Then Edna sealed the deal by offering to come with her husband, Livingston, to take care of Hastings and Martha Content, those were the children's names, while their parents were away. The encouragement and offering to help persuaded Martha to give her consent. In later writings and in speaking about her public life, she often expressed ambivalence about having left the children. Those who knew her were aware of the guilt that followed her into old age at the choice of service over family that she repeatedly made. The title of my time with you today comes from a passage in one of the four Gospels found in the Christian New Testament. It's taken from John 15, verses 19 through 13. And this is at a point when the prophet Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the point that they realize that they might lose him forever. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It calls into question, doesn't it, who we actually see as our friends, who we feel that we're responsible to, whose lives we're accountable for. It calls into question what we are doing in our own present time when we see so much unrest in the world. Just uh, yesterday, or Friday evening it was, there was yet another shooting, another mass shooting in our country that left five people dead, not to mention the many tragic shootings over the course of the summer, over the course of this past week. It's become something of something rather commonplace. And so the question emerges, what are we willing to do? What sacrifices are we willing to make to make a difference in the world and to make differences in the lives of others? Knowing that we can't do it all, knowing that we're not able to magically snap our fingers and have things be radically different from the way they are today. And yet, there are works, there are opportunities that present themselves in our daily lives where we can intervene. As was the case with Martha and Wait Still Sharp, they had to ask themselves, what are we going to do in this moment? There was a crisis that was afoot already, that people's lives were already being lost, people were in harm's way. I'm sure those 17 other ministers and their families who were contacted had very good reasons for why they wouldn't go. Some of those had to do with their family considerations, with the congregations they served, and yet this couple, 
these two people chose to step out of their comfort zone, to do something radically different, something that many people might have called foolish or unwise at the time. They chose to step out. They chose to take on the task of helping people escape to freedom. It brings to mind for me the words of a song by one of my favorite composers. Her name is Isai Maria Barnwell. She's a member of the, she was a member for many years of the African American a cappella women's quintet, Sweet Honey in the Rock. The song was entitled, Would You Harbor Me? And I offer you these lyrics from that song for your reflection. Would you harbor me? Would I harbor you? Would you harbor a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, a heretic, convict, or spy? Would you harbor a runaway woman or child, a poet, a prophet, a king? Would you harbor an exile or a refugee, a person living with AIDS? Would you harbor a, tr a Tubman, a Garrett, a Truth, a fugitive, or a slave? Would you harbor a Haitian, Korean, or Czech, a lesbian, or a gay? Would you harbor me? Would I harbor you? Would you harbor me? Would I harbor you? So much of the work that we seek to do in the world asks this very question, and was the question that faced the Sharps in their day. What risk were they willing to take? What sacrifices were they willing to make, not knowing how the outcome was going to be? And I think it ties in with the work that we did yesterday. And again, thank you so much, all of you who, all of you who were there and brought your heart and your spirits to the activity of discernment that we were engaged in, trying to identify words that captured what mattered most for you as a congregation here at All Souls, words that would inspire you, that would lead you on and help guide the work that you'll do for the years to come. We went through, we talked a lot yesterday and came up with lots of different ideas and there were three words that we centered on uh, towards the end of the day as we were wrapping up our time. And those words were action words describing things that you might do together or your commitment to this community and to this congregation. The words were nurture, inspire, and empower. And Jocelyn and others of you will collaborate together to identify how to shape that into a statement, whether it's a mission statement, a vision statement, a statement of purpose that will support you in the work you have to do going forward. But you know, a lot of times we think that by actually having come up with words that work for us and actually having written a statement, that that's actually the end of the work. Uh, and what I would like to suggest to you that maybe it's just the beginning of the work, just the start when you've identified words that, that make sense to you. And I know that you're going to be doing more of that today uh, as Barbara and you enter into a conversation. So how do we bring words off of newsprint, off of paper, and have them become living embodiments of what we actually hold dear? 
Well, it's by willing, it's by being willing to identify what matters to us in our lives, what things are important to us. What is it that we're willing to sacrifice for the well-being of another? These are the questions, again, that the Sharps asked in their day. So how will you put your mission and vision and your purpose into action now that this process is underway, reimagining who you could be going forward? Thinking about the example of the Sharps, I wonder, will this congregation host one or more refugee families from Syria? That would be pretty bold. Will the congregation become a hub of community dialogue where there's room for people to talk honestly and openly about important things that they have differing opinions about? Will the congregation invest and commit to programming around mediation, compassionate communication, and other modes of waging peace such that civility and honor become a way of life rather than something that's unusual? I want to mention two Unitarian Universalists in our own time who've taken up the work that the Sharps did in their day. Their names are Colin and Latifa Woodhouse. They are members of our congregation uh, on Long Island. Uh, the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Shelter Rock is the name of it. They are the recipients of the 2016 Sharp Rescue Award from the Joukowsky Family Foundation. Uh, and again, Artemis Joukowsky is the person who uh, actually is the co-producer of the film Defying the Nazis as well as the author of the book Defying the Nazis. The Woodhouses, Colin and Latifa, went to the Greek island of Lesbos where there were many Syrian refugees who had been encamped there. They went there on a mission of peace and to help make provisions for them. And similar to what the Sharps went through in their day, they were having, they had to learn how to negotiate with governments, how to intervene with people who were in danger, and sometimes put their own well-being at risk. They took their adult children with them who joined them on this mission. And for that reason, they are the recipients of the Rescuer Award. Now, it's the case that not everyone is going to be called to such a daring mission, such a bold mission, but we each have the opportunity to look to see what is it that we're being called to do in the moment and open to the possibility that that can make a, a huge difference in how we relate to one another and in our communities as well. And sometimes we only really get the full sense of it uh, as time goes forward. It's the case that for the Sharps, um, even though they were able to do this tremendous life-risking work that they did leading up to the Second World War and were able to get out before they were actually discovered and stopped, that there were prices that they paid and sacrifices that they made. One of the sacrifices was the dissolutionment of their marriage, the dissolution of their marriage, as well as, in some ways, the estrangement of their children. And it wasn't until years later that the children began to reconcile what had happened. And I wanted to share a passage from you that I find very poignant that uh, is from Martha Content, the daughter of Martha and Wait Still Sharp, reflecting as an adult on her parents' legacy and their commitment. We do not choose our parents, but I know that mine honestly followed their hearts and their ideals, and threw themselves 
into their life courses. They were determined, tender, compassionate, and had a deep empathy to help others. They deeply cared and connected themselves to a larger life, showing kindness to and saving many people along the way. As a child, it was hard to know what they had witnessed, and they didn't want to talk with us children about their sustained work or the horrors and struggles they had seen or felt. And as an adult, I was bewildered when I was told of their frightening life and death situations. Now I am less puzzled and realize that their passions were larger than life in spite of the dangerous worlds that they found themselves in. For the Sharps' moral compass was devoted to a fundamental battle for human rights that was a war worth waging and winning. They were wise with the gifts of courage and dedicated to reshaping the Nazi political landscape. We are better people and wiser for their personal choices, and that is what they inspired us to be. Again, not everyone is called to drop everything and intervene in the way that the Sharps did on behalf of humankind. But there is some bold calling for you as a congregation, for you as individuals, some bold calling that feels right, regardless of the risk, that has your name on it. And I'll be very excited to see what you individually and collectively discern. May it be so.